earlier is, is the truth about Grandma and don't feel bad here, have a cookie, you'll feel better. Out of the little vending machine downstairs, you can get the cookies. Look here, Grandma's cookies. <laughs> okay. And don't you think for one minute that that's an accident. The Madison Avenue advertising agencies are clear as a bell that people buy for the purpose of short-term feeling relief. Better hear that. Okay, let's, let's get real clear here. Let's put a couple of issues to bed. The things that create the greatest amount of conflicting feeling are losses. Those conflicting feelings, by definition, have a name. The name is grief. But that is a word we do not want to use in this society. So over during my lifetime, we have changed the jargon to describe grief many times. How many, how many of you remember way back in the 60s when we talked about burnout? Remember that? All they were trying to say was accumulated grief. Later on, in the early 70s, we had pressure. Remember when we had a lot of pressure? And we had A types and B types and all that kind of stuff. All they were ever talking about was grief. My inability to grieve and complete each moment as it goes by. In the late 1970s, for the first time ever, a guy published the word stress to describe grief, and the Madison Avenue guys picked that up in a heartbeat, and what was on the shelf in the health food store within six months? Stress tabs, eat a pill, fix your life. Grandma's cookie. <laughs> See, this computer forgets nothing. That kind of stuff. We now... You know, it's like stress is still semi-popular, but it's on the way out. And uh, you all know that every nutball idea that ever started on the planet starts in California. And it moves out, spreads like uh, whatever. Uh, how many of you have heard of FFA? And I'm not talking future farmers of America here. How about free-floating anxiety? Has that made it up here yet? And free-floating hostility? Oh, that's coming. But those will not last long because you can't sell something around that. I mean, FFA tabs doesn't make it. You know what I mean? <laughs> so that won't make it long, but we will eventually come up with something else to describe grief to keep us from saying grief. Um, two things. Number one, I am about to hand out one on each side of the room. A little thing that says Grief Recovery Institute mailing list. If you want to hear from us, put your name, address, city, state, and zip on there. You could put your phone number on there if you want to. We might marginally call somebody once in a while if we have a whole lot of extra money. Um, uh, the, what it does is, is we send out uh, material on our schedules, and we send out a newsletter. We're supposed to send it out quarterly, but the truth is, is about twice a year is the best we can expect. Uh, and so if, you're, if you want to be on that list, put your name and address, pass them around, I'll get them later. Now, I, I just realized on the break that we have been talking about grief a whole bunch, and we've been talking about grief recovery, and we have yet to define what we mean by grief recovery, so I'm about to define it. <clears throat> grief recovery is rediscovering what it is that it is your nature to be. 
Grief recovery is rediscovering what it is that it is your nature to be so that you need not be in conflict with it anymore. That's what recovery is. In a nutshell, what we're trying to do is hook you back up so that you are in union with your nature. It is my nature to be loving to be trusting, to be trustworthy. And for years I was not those things because I was afraid, and I was afraid because nobody ever gave me any tools on how to complete stuff. Just that simple. I wish it were real complicated. Most people in our society do not even understand, don't have no working definition of what grief is, so I want to give you two if you're interested, <clears throat> where we are talking about grief in general, that is, everything other than death. Grief is described or defined as the conflicting mass of human emotion caused by the change in or the end to a familiar pattern of behavior. <laughs> yes, grief is the conflicting mass of human emotion caused by the change in or the end to a familiar pattern of behavior. And when you finish writing that down, look up. I have a question for you. How many of you have discovered that you do not do well with change? <laughs> now, watch, pay very close attention and listen carefully. You cannot say hello to anything new until you have said goodbye to that which is old. That simple. But if nobody ever taught you how to say goodbye to the old, makes it impossible to say hello to the new. So we get stuck in the conflicting feelings. Y'all understand what I'm saying? How many of you have tried to change a habit in your life and found it a little difficult? <laughs> okay. Now there are some habits that are easy to change. I shouldn't say that easy meaning easy, but you have a greater motivation. Okay, I found it incredibly easy to follow the instruction, don't drink today, dummy. I was highly motivated. <laughs> I cannot even begin to tell you how highly motivated I was to follow that simple change in behavior. And so I followed it. Okay? But other little things like... John, one of the character defects that people get to last is called sloth. Let's discuss sloth. 
I said, no, no, let's go to the game. <laughs> and my sponsor said, I guess you're not ready to discuss flossing. I said, no. And he said, how about stealing? And I said, I don't do that. And he said, how many times are you late to appointments? And I said, quite often. And he said, you are stealing. And I had an old behavior that I had to complete. And the old behavior was safety. If I got there last, I couldn't be embarrassed. If I got there last, I didn't ever have to be the one sitting there acting like I was being stood up. If I got there last, da -da -de -da. now what does any of this have to do with grief? Let me tell you where I learned it. I learned it in 1958 when I graduated from the grade school. And my alcoholic father said, I'll be at your graduation. But on the way from work to the auditorium, he stopped off at the local pub for one or two cases. <laughs> and I spent the whole two-hour ceremony standing up on the little stage, on the little step things, looking at the door. And I was hurt, and I did not know how to express that hurt, and I experienced a true loss. It was called loss of trust. Ring a bell? Okay. How many of you have experienced a loss of trust experience with God? And then you come to a 12-step program and they say, here, make a decision to turn your will and your life over to the care of something you do not trust. <laughs> Why, I signed right up. I just showed up and said, where do I sign up? I'm ready to trust now, God, no problem. <laughs> and if you believe that, I have beachfront property for sale. Cheap. You know, I mean, this is really funny. I can remember when it finally dawned on me I had to grieve and complete a relationship with God as I used to understand him in order to develop a relationship with God as I now understand him. There was no room for the new one until I had said goodbye to the old one, you know. And one of the things that I had to do was I had to sit down systematically and discover what the old one was because I do a lot of things out of habit, you know, and I really don't remember how it got started and that kind of stuff. <clears throat> I can remember uh, I, one of the things we can talk about here a little bit is following a loss, uh, any loss. <coughs> It is not uncommon for the grieving person to review the relationship that they had with the person or the event or the situation, and they will review the relationship very fast in living color. And it is during that review that people discover the things that they are incomplete with, emotionally unfinished with, okay? And when I sat down with deliberation and intent to take a look at my relationship with God, in the beginning it was like up here. And then from the age of 9 to 11 I prayed each day to God as I understood God then to remove my father's drinking. And then not only did he not drink, but he drank worse. And so for like a couple of years my relationship with God was down here. And then my father left our life and it went back up here a little bit. Uh... 
And then they started to try to tell me how to live my life, and uh, I began to ask questions, and I don't know about you guys, but from time to time I got answers that fell into the category of hypocrisy. <laughs> no, it was probably only me. Uh, and so the relationship kind of dropped down here again, and then it went back up here for just a short time, and then we went to Southeast Asia. where I discovered there was no God. Now, I got a little problem here, don't I? Because when I come to the 12-step program, it says that my life depends on my spiritual condition. And here is my spiritual condition. Right? And all the lip service in the world never got me past a, a, a kind of a low-level distrust and a kind of a, uh, a, kind of a fear that uh, it wasn't safe. And so I had to do some stuff. I had to identify some things that were unfinished, that is, things that I had never verbalized, things that I had never told anyone, because that's stuffing them down inside. Remember our little drawing with our little steam thingy deal? And I didn't even know what they were. I remember sitting down and trying to, uh, trying to force awareness to happen by writing. And I got to discover that I had never had an original thought about God in my entire life. I had just spent my whole life, I remember little people have no bullshit meter, and whatever my parents told me about God, or whatever the priest, rabbi, or minister told me about God, or whatever the television told me about God, or whatever, I, it just went in my computer, and I never had questioned it, not one time ever. And what I came to discover as a result of all this search to get complete in my old relationship with God so that I could have a new relationship, what I got clear on was is that I had never had an old relationship with God. What I had had was an old relation with God's local representation. And God's local representation was a tiny bit weak, if you don't mind my saying that. And so I found that I had some issues that I needed to grieve and complete with humans. Like the nuns. I'm a... I am a survivor of Catholic school. <clears throat> I just want to know, want you to know that I got out of there with all my knuckles intact. <laughs> huh? And that was just a simple little example of a loss other than a death that had to be dealt with. Okay, based on that, on that definition we just talked about, a conflicting group of feelings. Okay? Uh, how many of you have had a, a loved one die as a result of a long-term illness? And you have actually thought, my God, I am so grateful that the suffering is over. And boy, I sure miss her. Conflicting feelings. You understand what I'm saying? That, by definition, handles all the grieving experiences. All right? It is unique. If there are conflicting feelings, it is grief. That may help you to understand. There is no other circumstance or situation in life that produces conflicting feelings. Okay? I've never had anyone call me on the phone and say, gee, here I am in Hawaii on the beach experiencing conflicting feelings. Now, other than, boy, I should have done this sooner or I should stay here longer or I'm going to treat myself better next year. But I've yet to see vacation cause a lot of grief. All right. <clears throat> With the one exception of retirement, which is like a long-term vacation, uh, which we do not prepare people for in this society, 
and so consequently, we, since we do not prepare people to deal with the conflicting feelings caused by retirement, it has reached the point now where retirement is the event that precedes the third largest cause of adult male death in the United States. It's insane. It's beyond insane, and no labor union, no employee assistance program, no, no group around that I know of even offers a pamphlet to people on the importance of grieving and completing your relationship with a job prior to retirement. Okay, now, enough on that. Let's go to the biggie. Let's go to grief caused by death. We have a different definition. <coughs> grief is reaching out for someone who has always been there only to find when we need them again they are no longer there Harry grief is the feeling of reaching out for someone who has always been there only to find when I need them again they are no longer there now, all this stuff we're talking about, I don't want this summit coming out sounding like a commercial because you can't get this book here anyway, probably. I wrote a book about four years ago called The Grief Recovery Handbook. The subtitle is a step-by-step -step program for moving beyond loss, and that's exactly what it is. There are 16 little exercises in here, one, two, three, four, five, six, and so forth, that one does in order to complete one loss, Okay? In there are these definitions I'm flipping around, if anybody's interested in them or that kind of stuff. It's all in there. The problem is, is that in our society, we have been taught that once a death occurs, it is too late to do anything. Okay? And that is not true. How many of you have experienced the death of a loved one? watch this the first death of a loved one I ever experienced was my grandfather he died in 1958 and for the next year I carried on little conversations with him in my head on three separate occasions he visited me in dreams I actually found myself walking down the street once in a while and I would see someone way down there that vaguely looked at him and I would find myself walking very fast to get in front of him and look over my shoulder to see if it was him. And when I finally told the truth to my father about this stuff, he said, he said silly things to me like, well, grief just takes time, which is not true. And he said things to me like, well, don't feel bad. You should feel grateful. You had him for 14 years. And I would say, yeah, but there are things I need to tell him and so on and so forth. And he'd say, well, don't feel bad. You had plenty of opportunity. And he certainly knows. And it was important to me whether or not he knew. It was important to me whether or not I knew. Now, I'm 14 or 15 years old, and the tall people are, you know, training me some more. And I did not know. And I, you know, actually, I'm not sure I know now, so we better do another test here. This is a workshop, right? How many of you, how many of you still carry on conversations with loved ones who have died? Put them up, 
leave them up, look around. <laughs> Maybe we're on to something here. How many of you have been visited in dreams by loved ones who have died? Put them up, leave them up, look around. Oh my God, could this be normal? But if they don't tell you that, what do you think? How many of you started to begin to question your own sanity? <laughs> See, what? Here's the stuff you got to hear. If you don't, as a matter of fact, I have figured out the goal for the workshop here. <laughs> the goal for this workshop is for you to leave here, okay, knowing that there is nothing wrong with you. Other than the information somebody else gave you, which you can change. Okay? Watch this. The healthiest person in a grieving experience for the first several days is guess who? The griever. For the first several days following a loss, the, the intensity of the loss itself, the shock of the loss, the pain of the loss, wipes out all of the misinformation we have about be strong, don't cry, do this, do that. And the griever will almost invariably review the relationship, realize what is unfinished, and will start to talk to people about it. They'll say, gee, I really miss him, and I wish I had said this, and blah, 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 and they will actually get tears in their eyes, and they will start to cry, and it's so healthy. Now, the problem is, here's the griever, G-R-V-R, griever, right? <laughs> this is called creative spelling. But look, the griever is surrounded by others. You all know how in 12-step programs we have cliches, about eight of them. You know, they got them hanging up on walls or holding walls up. I've never figured out what, how that works. Grief has cliches. There are 141 of them in the English-speaking Western world. Get this. There are 141 comments that are so common following a death that there is a 95% chance that the griever will hear every one of them multiple times within the first three days following the death. Did anybody here ever take a class in statistics in college? Who would like to tell the people here in the room what a 95% probability really means? Everybody, let me show you what a 95% probability means. Everybody take a breath. Did you get oxygen? Yeah. <laughs> there you have it. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Now, of these 141 things, some of them are helpful to the griever. Some are not helpful. What do you think, Sheila? How many helpful and how many not helpful? Probably more not helpful than helpful, yes? Uh, what percentage? Two percent. Who was the hard nose that said that? 
He, see, he's been subjected to this crap. There's no question about it. <laughs> now, now, now. There are some helpful things. There are 19 out of 141, <laughs> which means that there are 122 that are not helpful, and that's 85%. Now, here's our griever doing normal and natural for about three days, okay? While the society begins to beat them, whip them, kick them, and knock them into shape as soon as possible. Is, is anybody here, does anybody here like to share some of the things they heard following a loss that was not helpful? Yes. He's better off where he is. Very helpful to the griever. <laughs> really helpful, isn't it? And and you want to hear the funny part? Now all of the you're going to get the you're going to right away you're going to figure out that all the not helpful ones are intellectual. Because it may well be true that he is better off where he is. The problem is is that it is the living who grieve. Nobody even acknowledged a single thing about you. He is better off where he is. Your ass is falling off, and I'm really sorry, but he's better. You know, they brainwash. How many of you are real clear now that they brainwashed you into believing that comparison is real? See? Yes, I complained because I had no shoes until I met the dude who had no feet, and da did he do and... You know, and if you carry that thinking out just far enough, there can only be one griever in our entire society. Who else heard some stuff they really loved? Yeah. Is it love or addiction? Yes. Here you are, bleeding to death. You're, the primary issue in your mind right at the moment is, get the scale out. Was that love or addiction? Now, if I can just get the intellectual answer to that, my tummy will feel better. <laughs> Tilt, baby. Yeah. If you live a good and righteous life, you will see him again. What is that? I, that got a big applause, and I've never heard that one before, and it is not one of the 141. Hold it, I just remembered where I am. Catholic school jokes didn't work here. <laughs> oh, I got it. Yes. Oh my God. Let me go. Let me let me shift here. Plates. Plates. What? Golden plates. Uh, Maroni. I got this. I got it. I got it. I got it, I got it. I've spent 17 years studying the 12 major religions on the planet. I have bad news for you people. <laughs> what? Mine was that my friend had died because I shifted something to a picture. Yeah. 
Now, there's a load to put on a short person. <laughs> and those are not the cliches, though. Which is true for him. Didn't help you for shit, did it? <laughs> He's not suffering anymore. Yes. Yeah. Yes, shit happens. <laughs> At no point does it say shit happens and I cannot have normal and natural feeling responses to it. You understand what I'm saying here? That's the whole point. Everybody says don't participate as a full and complete human being. Just live here in your head. She, this young girl, whose name I cannot read, Laura. Laura, has just hit on the number one, number one, the one that sends grievers to a whole other, rockets them to a new dimension. <laughs> now, now, let's be really honest here for a second. All of you who have experienced a significant emotional loss, who have been grieving, who have sought some help from people around you, now... People have come up and looked you right in the eye and they have said, I know how you feel. <laughs> and how many of you, while standing there being very tactful and courteous, have been thinking, I want to reach right over and rip off their face? <laughs> let's, let's, boy, we're kind of shifting away from grief recovery here and we're getting into a whole little slightly different area. Uh, but, but it is connected. Watch my lips. Nobody ever, 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 there are no exceptions, knows how you feel. And let's go one further step. You cannot feel other people's feelings. I spent my whole goddamn life waiting to feel all this love that you had for me because I had been brainwashed into believing that is possible. Quick, let's do an experiment. How many of you at least like me? All right, send it. I'm ready to receive. <laughs> I'm not getting it. You guys are not doing this right. All right, lay it on me. Hold it. You cannot telepathically communicate your feelings to me. And all my life I kept waiting for him to get here until I thought there was something wrong with me. And I quick rushed, rushed out and drowned that thought right away. Boom, bang. Now, one person did come up to me following my son's death. One person came up to me and said, I don't have a clue how you feel. But let me tell you how I felt when my son died. Whoa, that guy I could hear. And you know what he said? He said, I don't have any answers for you. He said, but God, I felt like my ass was falling off. And I said, first time I ever talked about it, I said, I feel like that cartoon character when they run into the tree and then they little lines appear in them and then they fragment and fall on the ground a little breeze blows them away. That's how I feel. And he said, yeah, yeah. You know? It's real interesting. The concept then I didn't get. It was years later. I studied. I paid attention. I got the, the only thing that works between one griever and another 
is when one griever tells the truth about their experience to another griever, tells the truth about themselves to another griever, and I mean about feelings. And so what you've got to get here is that that is a very rare experience in our society because you're not even supposed to have any feelings. And if you do have them, for Christ's sake, don't talk about them. I mean, see how many, think of how many beliefs you have to get past just to tell the truth about your feelings to another human being. I mean, the real things here. I'm not talking about this chump stuff. That I'm talking about real feelings here. And I guarantee you, <laughs> it's not one of the 141 plus things. And we could do more of these 141. I want you to get. Let me tell you the weirdest one I ever heard, though. It is not on here. This was in uh, Arkansas, and I overheard a grandmother type saying to about a nine or ten year old following grandpa's death. You see, and you know what shocked me so much is I thought after all these years I'd heard them all. I just didn't think there were any new ones left. And Grandma says to little Timmy, Don't cry, little Timmy. Each tear you shed drowns one of God's angels in heaven. <laughs> I sat down. I said, Well, i got to write that down. That's new. <laughs> that, that's big. That's huge. Well, back to the griever, who started out doing normal and natural. Well, maybe we can get a vote on it right here in this room. Uh, how many of you in this room like to be approved of? Like to be thought well of? Like to be complimented, even though you've been working on that bullshit for years? <laughs> and so when 85% of everything you hear tells you to get it up above your neck, what do you suppose we do? Good little people pleasers that we are. And with no valid information to, to compare it to, what do we do? Put it up here. In the process of putting it up here, we store it down here in our little tummy, and then we cannot figure out why. How many of you had a, 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 an adult male authority figure die? And then ever since then have had difficulty establishing trusting relationships with adult male authority figures? No screaming caca. How many of you experienced a loss of trust experience with an adult female authority figure and have had great difficulty trusting adult female authority figures ever since? Do you see what I'm saying? And it will continue like that and continue like that until guess who goes back and completes that incomplete, incomplete stuff so that you now have choice in the way your relationships go. You see, you understand what I'm saying? Now, anybody have any questions about this kind of stuff? Or any questions since we started yet? What are some of the helpful things? Um, yeah, what are some of the helpful things that you can say to a person? Rather than rattling off some of those, let me tell you what the most important one is. The most important thing that you can say to a grieving person who has newly has experienced a new loss or who has just remembered an old loss, because we tend to bury them and kind of hide them, okay, is to tell the truth about how you're feeling. 
Okay, so let's say you have a friend that's mother dies or something, okay, and you want to be of some help to this friend of yours. Why? Because you love him and care for him. And so tell him that. See, just say to him, honey, I really love and care for you, and the truth is I don't really know what to say, but can I hug you? How many of you in this room, put your hand up, listen, look at the heads going up and down. How many of you in this room wish that everybody around you would have just shut the fuck up and hugged you? <laughs> see, Mary, look around. You, you see what I'm saying here? What happens is, is everybody tries to fix the griever, and the griever isn't broken. Everybody tries to fix the griever's brain, and their brain is not broken. It is their heart that is broken. Tell them the truth about how you... Have you experienced a significant emotional loss? Who died? Brenda, tell them about how you felt when Brenda died. Remember the guy who said to me, gee, I don't know how you feel, but boy, here's how I felt when my son died? In other words, without giving you little things to rattle off, here's the trick. Think feelings and talk permissively. Think feelings and talk permissively. See? My, I was in incredible turmoil. It was so frustrating. How are you feeling? See, if you go first with the feelings, they'll follow with the feelings as soon as they figure out it's safe here. As soon as they figure out you're not in the 85% category, they'll get busy. You may not be able to get rid of them. <laughs> Look. We live in a society that has made feelings no good for a long time. And so for the most part, I mean, I sit around, I, I just sit around shaking my head a lot, you know, because people will be, they'll come up to me after this very seminar and they'll say, yes, my mother and my father and my two brothers were killed in a, in a plane crash and I was watching and it certainly was an interesting experience. <laughs> they will. They will use non-feeling terms. In our society, how, look, hey, in our society, how many of you are clear as a bell feelings are not okay? See, and grief promotes feelings, doesn't it? And grievers start to talk about feelings, and the society goes, no, 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 stop that. And you guys think I'm kidding. Um, how many of you have noticed the following a loss when you do get courageous enough to try to talk about it? How many of you have noticed how quickly everybody changes the subject? <laughs> huh? We did a survey a couple years ago. Uh, Good book, by the way. Good book. Whosoever that is, I read it years ago. Very good book. Um, the rest of you don't have to know what we were talking about. <laughs> I, I have been doing grief recovery seminars and educational stuff and all that uh, for years and years and years, and it's like I'm huge in, with the churches, and I'm huge with the cemetery owners, and I'm huge in, with the funeral people, and I'm huge in all the caregiving professions where people deal with grievers all the time. And because I have access to them and they have access to money, oftentimes I can get them to do research projects for me. And so a few years ago, I had a big funeral outfit in the southeast do a survey, and they sent out thousands of questionnaires, and they got back a whole bunch of them and so on and so forth. And there were like 20 questions uh, on this survey, and only two of the questions were like hot questions. Or anybody cared what the responses were. One of the questions was, what do you believe is the best way to treat a person who has just experienced the death of a loved one? 100% of the respondents 
responded by saying, or in fact checking the box, when asked the question, what is the best way to treat a person who has just experienced the death of a loved one, they checked, act as if nothing happened. <laughs> act as if nothing happened. Look at these heads going, huh, yeah, I got it now. Now I understand what the hell was happening to me. Yes. Snap out of it, Kathy. Yes. You bet. Get a grip. Let's all practice that as a grieving tool. Ready? Oh, man, that helps. I got to... Ah, hey, I am gripping my arm right here down by the watch, and it's... Oh, this is so helpful, I can't tell you. No, that, that was pull yourself up by the, the boot straps. And then if you miss, you get it in the groin. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, and it's also funny, except when you're in it, it ain't funny. Let me, let me, quick, let me quick tell you something else. Tell the truth about yourself works in completing your relationship with people who've died. Okay, okay. Uh, 1966, my father died. And I, just like everybody else, I quickly reviewed this relationship. One of the things, notice conflicting feelings, right? One of the things that I discovered in my relationship with my father that was incomplete was in 1960, around in, uh, I'm from Southern Illinois, okay? Any of you ever been to Southern Illinois? I'm from Danville, baby. <laughs> now, she will know, Kathy will know that what I'm about to tell you is true. In downstate Illinois, you have Jesus and you have basketball. <laughs> in that order except on game day <laughs> okay you got it I mean they probably have a similar deal here with something else but that's the way it is in downstate Illinois in 1960 I played in a little holiday basketball tournament uh, a small basketball tournament in southern Illinois around the holidays is 32 teams it's played in a gymnasium that seats 8,000 people and it's sold out every session. And there is an 8,000 seat auditorium next door with closed circuit television. And as I look back at that today, I see it for what it was, which is child abuse. <laughs> but that's a whole different animal. And by accident, I mean accident, I was declared the most valuable player of this basketball tournament. Everybody has a period, everybody has one experience in their life where they can do no wrong. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I could have had my eyes closed and throwed the ball in the hole. It was, it was a joke. But I, so I won this award. I come home off this road trip. I walk into the house, and there's this big banner, Welcome Home, and there's 25 of my friends leap out of hiding, oh, Welcome Home, and there's a cake there and a bunch of soda pop and this and that and the other thing. And my father, the alcoholic, who could barely find his way home, right, <laughs> had done this whole thing. He had put this deal together. He had made the phone calls, he'd gotten the cake, he'd had the banner made, all my friends were there, and it was a big event in my life, and I truly, truly, truly appreciated it. And since I was only like about 16 at the time, six, I was six. I hadn't even been born yet, now that I'm thinking about this. <laughs> but it, 
Since I was 16, at the time, I wasn't completely brainwashed yet. And so I went to him to tell him the truth about how I felt. I went to my father to tell him how much this uh, I appreciated this party. How many of you have living parents? How many of you have noticed that they have a little radar thing on their head for feelings? It's like if there's one anywhere nearby, they just get away from it as fast as they can. You ever notice that? Well, that was my father. He's a little radar, you know. And I said, gee, Dad, I want to tell you how much I appreciate. And before I could finish with appreciate, he had found a reason to be somewhere else. Zip! And he was gone. Walked off. And so I said to myself, well, I'll tell him tomorrow. But then tomorrow, it's like he had to leave town to go on a trip. And about a week later, it kind of crossed my mind how important it was that I tell him how much I appreciated this. And then something kind of came up and it just kind of faded away. Do you know when the very next time it was that it dawned on me how important it was to me that I tell him how much I appreciated that party? About 20 seconds after he died. How many procrastinators we got here? And I didn't know what to do with that piece of information that I had forgotten to tell him how important this was because they told me it's too late now. So I walked around with that little piece inside of me for a long time. Until all of a sudden one day it dawned on me, I ought to question all this shit that they taught me <laughs> to see if it really was true. You know? And what I have come to discover is is that Oh, you know that part about look to the left before stepping off the curb? That's real. <laughs> Even that one's a little suspect, though, in case you happen to be in London. <laughs> and all the rest of the stuff they taught me was a little bit, <laughs> proved to be a little bit suspect. What was his name? What was his name? My son? Yeah. Son. Can you get a picture of him in your mind right now? What do you want to say to him right now? Demetel, I hate you for doing that. What happened? I told him I loved him all the time and so I don't have that we can't thank God. Don't let this shit you left us in. We're dealing with the shit. Say I'm real mad at you right now. I'm so mad at you. Say I'm, I'm so mad, mad at you. you. Yeah. I'm mad at you. Someday, but not right now. I may be able to forgive you someday. 
let you go for now. Don, I have to let you go for now. Goodbye, Don. Goodbye. Goodbye, Don. Marilyn, will you do me a favor? Would you hug her, please? Thank you. Thank you. Now, don't anybody go away. Everybody stay right here. Listen, listen, listen. Honey, can you get a picture of him again? So you can get him right back, can't you? You didn't lose him, did you? No. Oh, so one little piece of incompleteness got completed, and when you think of another little piece, you can bring him back and complete that? Are you all listening to me? Now, there's a lot of tears here in the room, and tears are good. I've got to remember to tell you that because you may not know it. Tears are the proof that you are getting back in touch with what it is that it is your nature to be. Real human beings have feelings. Honey, do you feel a little better right now? Do you feel like a little burden is taken from you? Well, I'm dealing with stuff that I didn't deal with at the time. <laughs> yes. What a great little caretaker you were. <laughs> oh, I forgot that one. <laughs> we do have appropriate displays of grief in our, that are okay in our society. Now, here's what they look like. You have to kind of break eye contact quickly, look down like this, and do an appropriate snuffle sound. <laughs> and then say, how are you? The grievers are put into the position in our society of taking care of everybody else. That was not my question. My question is, is do you feel a little bit better now that that has been said? And when I think of something else I want to say, I can get him right back and say it. Listen very carefully. At the end of every little emotional conversation, Please say the words goodbye because that ends that conversation. If you don't say goodbye to each conversation, you will find that you will have the very same one over and over and over and over again, and that does not make room for the next conversation. Do you want to know when your grief will be over? When there's nothing left to say except I love you and goodbye. You all following that instruction about where you see water, hug it? That's a very good instruction.
What I have done is written a little definition up here on the board, and you may use it if you want or not. I, I, that's up to you. One of the things that I have noticed in my years of working with grieving people is that if I put a sign up over here that said, line up here if you want to help others, and line up here if you want to work on your own stuff, I would have a line over here from clear here to whatever the next town is. But the line over here where do you want to work on your own stuff would have three, maybe four people in it. In the Grief Recovery Handbook, we sell jillions of these every year. Well, we don't actually do it. Harper and Row does it. Out of every hundred people that get this book, it is my firm belief that about 70 of them get up to the part where it says, you cannot recover alone, you must find a partner. And the minute it dawns on the person that they have to actually go and work with another human being, they promptly put this book on a shelf for about a year and rethink the whole deal. <coughs> okay? If you choose to work with each other and help each other based on information in that book, okay, please understand that what you are really doing is trying to acquire the ability to love the other person, not fix them. I was not trying to fix this beautiful young lady back here because she's not broken. She does not need to be fixed. All she needs is a loving and safe environment that is emotionally permissive so that she can say out loud the things she's been thinking and feeling. She's pissed off at her son because she doesn't like his choice. All I'm asking any of you to do if, who help each other is please love each other based on a definition that makes some sense. What this says is love is the willingness and ability to allow others the right to make their own choices for themselves Without any insistence, they satisfy you. Anything short of that definition is manipulation, not love. So if at any point in time along the line in our conversation, if she had said, no, I don't want to talk to him, it is too painful and it's too difficult, I would have gone, oh, I certainly understand it's been difficult for me, let's have a hug. And I'd have backed right up. Please give people the dignity to work in recovery at their own flaming pace. If you would like to take this definition and kind of expand it into the rest of your life, be my guest, it works really well. If you would like to take this definition and turn it around, I'd really encourage you to do that. How many of you have figured out that there is a voice in your brain that is your very worst enemy? <laughs> Listen to what I am about to say. Someday you are going to have to grieve, complete, and say goodbye to that bullshit. And then it will make sense to you when I say turn this definition around and love yourself, which is to have the willingness and to acquire the ability to allow yourself the right to make your own choices for yourself without the need for the approval of others.
Now, at no point have you heard me say be, uh, you know, dictatorial and insensitive and jam your wishes down somebody else's throat. You have not heard me say that. But at some point, as you start knocking off these incomplete losses, there's going to be a terrifying thought come into your mind. The thought is going to be, whose life is this? And a little tiny voice is going to say, it's mine. And it isn't mommy and daddy's anymore. And it isn't aunt's and uncle's life anymore. And it isn't the priest, rabbi, or minister's life anymore. It is my flaming life. And in our particular case, in this particular room, while it is true that it is my life, I better have sense enough to call on higher authority for a little direction. If you all understand what I'm saying to you. <laughs> my direction for Bill would probably be wonderful. For me... Now, we're running out of time. How's my mailing list doing back there? Where are my mailing lists? Oh, we're doing pretty good. Keep them going, keep them going. Uh, anybody have any questions about any of this stuff? Yes, right here. question is, are we going to talk a little bit about loss of relationships? No, we're not going to. We didn't lose any. They're not lost. <laughs> no, they died. Well, in that particular case, yes. Sure. Yes. And also, see, understand, the real question you're asking is, is, is it possible to grieve over unrealized expectations? And the answer is absolutely. See, grief comes in a package of two almost always. I'll be over there in one second. Grief comes in a package of two. Let's say that we have a divorce. Okay, so we have the death of a relationship. But how many of you went into a relationship or a marriage with certain expectations of what it was going to be? You know, you're going to ride off into the sunset. You're going to get a three-bedroom, two-bath with a white picket fence, uh, 2.4 kids and 1.6 animals, and uh, one new car, one three-year-old car, and take a two-week vacation to some place once a year. Blah, blah, blah. How many of you had that kind of stuff in your head? So not only did the relationship or the marriage die, but a whole bunch of expectations died with it also. Those need to be completed as well. For those of you who have experienced the death, I'm, I'm unloading a lot of information here in a hurry, so just let me run. For those of you who have experienced the death of a child in this room, in the Grief Recovery Handbook, one of the, one of the exercises near the end is that we ask you to draw a relationship graph, very similar to the one I had up on the board earlier, and it is in the process of graphing that relationship that you discover the stuff that's incomplete. Okay, now, if it is a child who dies, when do you suppose, let me, let me get a mom, when do you suppose your emotional relationship with your child begins? Nah, that's the man's deal. The moment you know you're pregnant, which is usually two weeks before the rabbit dies or any of that crap. The medical people know shit, okay? They know from squat. They're a bunch of historians, you know what I'm saying? They can always tell you what happened after you already know what happened, and you know what I mean? Weird bunch of people uh, speaking strange dialect. They've created their own language, <laughs> which I call uh, uh, Dr. Ease. And that's, it can only be understood by two people, and they went south. Uh, anyway, so when you go to to graph that relationship, you have to understand you have emotional expectations and emotional stuff from the moment that you knew you were pregnant. For the husbands, 
your emotional relationship probably began the first time you felt the baby kick. Now, now that does not count the several months before that that you lied. <laughs> Can't you feel that, honey? Oh, sure, honey. Yeah, oh, hey. Detroit Lions football kicker, no problem. But one day you do feel it and bang, it all begins. Yes, right over here. You bet. Question was, is it possible to grieve over the loss of my little blankie when I was a baby? And the answer is absolutely yes. However, always try to associate your unresolved loss with a person. See, who took the blankie? Mommy and Daddy, yes. You see what I'm saying? Bingo. So it's like you may find that there is a situation that's up is in your mind. You're aware of it. And, and the question is, can I grieve over inanimate objects? And the answer is absolutely. But almost always you will find it is attached to a relationship with a person. And that's the relationship you need to, to work on. Uh, let me quick give you an example of that. Uh, my dad, God bless him, used to come home and, and we, my older brother and I would be waiting by the front door, hopping up and down, that kind of stuff. Because we wanted to be acknowledged. We wanted to be loved. We wanted to be played with. We wanted something. And he would kind of pat us on the head. And then he would walk down this long hallway into my parents' room. And he would go up to this bureau, which you could see from where we were standing. And he would go to his left front pocket and he would get out the keys. He'd go to the right front pocket and he'd get out the cash. He'd go to the left rear pocket and he'd get out the lot. Starting to notice something here? <laughs> he'd go to the right rear pocket and pull out the handkerchief, and I am probably the only male human being left on earth that carries handkerchiefs all the time. And then he would come back and play with us. And all my life, all my flaming life, I thought the keys and the money and the wallet and the handkerchief were more important than me. and I could have grieved that kind of thing forever and ever, but I had to actually, in fact, go back and associate it with him, okay? Because it was my incompleteness in the relationship with him, where I had to go back and get a picture of him in my head and say, you certainly were a gigantic dick. <laughs> now, that does not mean that he was. What it means is, is that I had the right to verbalize a group of feelings that I had then and didn't know I should or could verbalize them in order to get them out of the pot. You see, remember the, the little steam kettle here? What grief recovery is about is energy removal. It doesn't matter if it's new energy or old energy. you got to move it through. You understand what I'm saying? It's just whoosh, move it through. And the thing that was necessary for me to move it through is I had to have some more valid information about how to grieve or more accurately how to recover from grieving. You, see, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Hold it. Wait a minute. We got jargonization going on here. How does disassociation coincide or conflict with grieving, or does it interrupt grieving? I don't know what it is. Disassociation? What does that mean? Let's quick draw this on the board. Let me show you something. Let's, let's just address the issue at its foundation. 
Everybody pay attention, we're going fast. You all remember Pavlov and his dog Goofy? Any of you heard of B.F. Skinner? We're talking the behaviorists, the behavioral psychologists, okay? Over the last 40 years, they have shown us very clearly how action happens within humans, okay? And here's what it is. There's a little four-step process. It is called the basic action chain. Some of you may have heard of it that way. Some of you may have heard of it called or referred to as the basic feeling chain, some of you may have heard of it called the stimulus response chain. I, 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 some heads are going up and down. The bottom line here is, is that this is, a, re, this is a, a, a process that has been so researched in the last 40 years. Uh, I'm standing here telling you rocks are hard and water's wet and gravity works and this is the way it is. Whether you like it or whether you don't, this is the way it is. Okay? Uh, first, there is a stimulus. That is, I see something, smell something, taste something, touch something, hear something, whatever. And stimulus is always neutral. Stimulus has no meaning. Stimulus just is, okay? Until you run it up through the computer. When you run up the, the stimulus through your computer, that's where we assign a value to it. We say, oh, that's good, or oh, that's bad. You follow what I'm saying? Now, if the oh, that's bad is potentially so painful that it happens in the unconscious part of the mind, we will employ something that is called selective perception. That is, the old computer will go, tilt, too big a bite for now, too big a mouthful for now, too painful, too raw, too, ah, I ain't going for this, and all this will happen in the unconscious mind, okay? So what is confusing me here is your use of the word disassociation as if it were a choice. If what you're talking about, which I'm not really clear about yet, but if what you're talking about is a conscious decision on your part to not move forward, okay, then just lighten up on yourself a little bit. We are not in a race. No. No. That's like grief just takes time, and that just doesn't work. The only thing that happens, you want to see time here. This is the only thing time can do. In and of itself, time can pass. That's it. Can't do anything else. And in fact, what happens is in our society, we have deluded ourselves into believing if I can forget it, I've dealt with it. And that's not what it is. That's just packed, cramming it in there. You understand what I'm saying? And, this, and that same process still works. If I'm incomplete with Dad and I'm incomplete with the 12 guys I ever went out with, blah, 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 and I think there's some choice in this deal, and so on and so forth, I'm going to go stimulus thought, and I'm going to say, well, better go back, stimulus thought. And I'm going to be caught doing this hamster thing with one unsuccessful little relationship after another. Grief in and of its... How many of you have experienced the death of a loved one 20 years ago and still miss them? So if time had anything to do with it, 20 years would probably be enough, don't you think? See, it's not, and that's not the deal. Yes. And in fact, what happens is in our society, we have deluded ourselves into believing if I can forget it, I've dealt with it. And that's not what it is. That's just packed, cramming it in there. You understand what I'm saying? 
and this and that same process still works. If I'm incomplete with dad and I'm incomplete with the 12 guys I ever went out with, blah, 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 and I think there's some choice in this deal and so on and so forth, I'm going to go stimulus thought and I'm going to say, well, better go back, stimulus thought, and I'm going to be caught doing this hamster thing with one unsuccessful little relationship after another. Grief in and of its... How many of you have experienced the death of a loved one 20 years ago and still miss them? So if time had anything to do with it, 20 years would probably be enough, don't you think? See, it's not, and that's not the deal. Yes. That is, see, and that would be selective perception from my definition. And she would not be consciously aware of it. What I'm getting from Sheila up here is, is I'm scared to go any further. And that's a conscious choice. Therefore, <laughs> and there you have it after a very long and detailed... <laughs> Somebody asked me another question right away, right here. No. <laughs> there you have it. Next. <laughs> yes, quick. The terminal, a person who has a terminal illness would be incredibly well advised to go to my friend Elizabeth Kubler-Ross or to get her book On Death and Dying or to go to my very dear friend who married my partner named Louise Hay. And if one is faced with a life, there are no terminal illnesses. Let me go on record saying that right now. There are only life-threatening situations that I have not yet figured out how to deal with. Uh, Louise Hay, if you need her number, call us at the Grief Recovery Institute. We will right away refer you over there. We refer everyone with terminal... It's a whole different animal. The grieving process where I am grieving over the potential loss of my life is an entirely different animal than the grief one experiences following a loss. And in our society, we've gotten that confused to a vast degree. Uh, we misuse the word denial in our society all the time, all the time, all the time, and it really sends me to another place which we do not have time to get into. Yes. The question, the question really is, uh, is there any validity to comparing one loss to another? And the answer is no. Watch this. There are no half-grievers. You grieve each and every loss at 100%. And each loss is different, unique, and separate. And to sit around and compare one to the other is, if, if not folly, it's got to be insanity. Because what happens is, is that I minimize everything. Well, I can't grieve. Uh, this is too small. You see, you understand what I'm saying? Forget that. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Giant economy size. Grief. Big. Huge box. No little one. Okay? No little one. <laughs> Make a note. <clears throat> but but let's get on to the next thing. Two things. Number one, well, you know, we, you know, it's like we get no information about how to grieve in this society. The other thing we get no information is how to effectively communicate. You know, I got I got algebra, I got geometry, I got advanced algebra, I got calculus, man. Uh, I got analytic geometry, and I forget the other ones. And it was like real important. Four years I studied over this crap, and now I can go to Thrifty Drugstore, $3.99, buy a calculator, do all that shit. <laughs> Did they ever teach me how to communicate with other people? No. See, you see what I'm saying? So when you say, I'm expressing my grief to another person, blah, 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 you've got to question yourself, am I trying to fix somebody? Am I trying to manipulate a response? Am I trying, them to, am I trying to get them to feel emotionally the way I feel emotionally? And the problem with that is only, only one person is ever going to experience emotion the way you do. Guess who? You. Nobody else. That's it. That's why all these marriages break up after children die. 
is the husband expects the wife to grieve the way the husband grieves, and of course the wife is over here expecting the husband to grieve the way she grieves, and it's an impossibility. And so then the communication really goes to hell in a handbasket, and then the next thing you know, we got blue papers flying all over the place, and da 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 We are out of time. Um, yes, David. Specific, it is, the, listen, the question was, is the specific how-to in the Grief Recovery Handbook? After my son died, I went to the bookstores, I bought the books, this and that. I now, I used to, I used to not tell the truth because I was trying to be tactful and charming and all that shit. Now I lump all the grief books into one category called boo-hoo books. And they are filled with all kinds of wonderful adjective descriptions telling me how I should feel. And the truth is, I already knew how I felt. My ass was falling off. What I was looking for was any one of those books that had a chapter in it that said what to do about it. And I couldn't find it. And so years ago, somebody asked me on a talk show, they said, well, how could you describe this book? And I said, it is a 200-page chapter devoted entirely to what to do about it. You see, you understand what I'm saying? You do not need me to write down in a book how you feel. You're clear as it all how you feel. What you're looking for is what are we going to do about it? And that's why it says here a step-by-step -step program for moving beyond loss because that's exactly what it is. Now, um, do not, how many of you would be interested in getting this book? Do not run down to this little midget bookstore here they have in Park City and beat up on that poor woman who might have two copies of this book. But when you get back to wherever you come from, call B. Dalton and call Pickwick and call whoever all those big chain people are uh, because theoretically it's there. If you have any difficulty finding it, because distribution is the problem, uh, if you have any problem finding it, call us at the Grief Recovery Institute and we'll send it to you. Okay? The Grief Recovery Handbook. James wrote it. That's me. And Harper and Rowe published it. And I want to give this to you as a gift. Immediately, immediately, I'm going to give you your answer real quick. Immediately get into that book to the relationship graph part, do the relationship, get over there, tell them everything that comes up. Everything See, comes up. I spend my whole life helping. I spend, stop protecting him. You're the griever. He's got his own deal. You can't fix him. That's the great illusion. The great illusion is, is that you can fix someone. And in the process of fixing them, you do not pay attention to your own grief. I spend my whole life helping people complete relationships with loved ones who have died. Now, you have a wonderful opportunity here, which is this. You can complete a relationship before anybody dies. And trust me, it's a hell of a lot easier. Okay? Real quick, back there. The bottom line... Yes. The bottom line is, is that a communication is not complete unless it is verbal and unless it is heard by another human being. That's the bottom line. Goodbye is the bottom line. Goodbye is the bottom line. Okay? Yeah, I and I can show you that afterwards if you want to see it. Okay? How many of you did a fifth step? And it had to be heard by another human being, didn't it? Yep. Listen, these concepts are so much older than, than the 12-step program is a joke. All you got to do is align yourself with the river in the direction the river's going. It's a lot easier. Last, last, very last question. Yes. To a person, not the person. <laughs> See, how many of you have a crappy relationship with a parent? You can complete the relationship as it is up to right now, and they don't even have to know about it. And you get to start a new one. 
See, the only one who feels bad about your relationship is you. I'm sorry, that's the, that's the bad news here. How many of you got a little hostility going on with somebody? Hostility always eats the wrong person up, doesn't it? You know what I mean? Sorry. Okay, look. Uh, uh, the, let me have those uh, things, those... Um, and all of you who filled these out at the CA World Convention and you haven't gotten anything from us, it's not my fault. If you have a resentment, work on it. Um, now, let me tell you this real quick. I want to thank all of you for paying attention and participating. I love you. If you have any difficulty hearing me say that, that's your problem. Work on it. Thank you. <laughs>